going to play another little true-false game this morning. We'll see how you out there do with some true-false facts. You have little sheets on your seat. Uh, Hopefully you can figure out uh, what they're for. Obviously, the red X would be for a false answer. I hope you're able to discern that. And the check mark is for, because it's just harder to hear you guys, so this is just an easier representation. So, we're going to play a little true-false game. I was, we were going to do a consensus of the married couples, but nobody has time for that. So, uh, I want to preach too, so we figured we'll just do away with the consensus style and we'll just go with individual answers. Uh, Christian's starting at a negative five, that sounds about right. So, true or false, spaghetto is the singular word for a piece of spaghetti. They all answer false, which is incorrect. Generally, Italian words ending in O are singular, and words ending in I are plural. Lots of spaghetto makes spaghetti. Didn't know that, did you, this morning? You've already learned something before you fell asleep. Perfect. All right. You guys are all starting off really well, so I'm excited for the rest of this. Marrakesh is the capital of Morocco. Check, check, check. Wow, you guys are terrible at this game. False. It's Rabat is the capital of Morocco. We're doing good. And you guys are all like together. At least you're together in this, okay? Adina Menzel sings Let It Go 20 times in Let It Go from Frozen. Christina is going to be the odd man out and say false. Christina is the only one that's correct. She says it 21 times, not 20. Which when I read this at first, I'm like, actually, it's true. It doesn't say only 20 times, so, but you still don't get a point. Christina's the only one on the board at this point, so good job. Uh, a lion's roar can be heard up to eight kilometers away. James going with false on this one. Everybody else is true. It is true. That one is true. So James still the only person not on the board. Uh, We love you anyhow. Uh, We value you, even though you're not good at true and false games. I got most of these wrong, just so you know. When I took this, I think I got almost every single one of them wrong. So, M&M stands for Mars and Moordale on those little pieces of candy. We could have gone with a consensus game here. Look at this. You guys are doing good. False. It stands for Mars and Murray. They're very excited over here. The unicorn is the national animal of Scotland. They're going with a consensus over here. That one is true. Believe it or not. Yes, they're interesting over there in Scotland. (laughs) My people, my people group. There are two parts of the body that can't heal themselves, true or false. There are two parts of the body that cannot heal themselves, 
true or false. False. There's only one, which is your teeth. The Great Wall of China is longer than the distance between London and Beijing. Got a consensus again? London to Beijing is 8,136 kilometers, whereas the Great Wall is 21,196, almost three times the length from Beijing to London. So it's true. I did not know that. That was kind of mind-boggling. Bananas are curved because they grow upwards toward the sun. Straight across the board consensus of completely wrong answers. True! A process called negative geotropism means the fruit grows upwards to break through the canopy. Again, I thought that was false. I pictured a banana thing of bananas. I'm like, that's not true. Apparently it is. There are 219 episodes of Friends. <laughs> the guys got this one false. There are 236. A is the most common letter used in the English language. Wow. The teacher says false. You maybe should have gone with it. What is it, Christina? E. e. That's correct. E is the most common letter. All right. Alaska is the biggest American state in square miles. <laughs> Smart man. Smart man. It is true. Uh, where am I at here? Uh, it's over twice the size of Texas, which is the second largest state. There are five different blood groups. Wow, not a consensus across the board here. And our last question, the answer is false. There are only four. A, B, A, B, and O are your four blood groups. That's it, guys. Thank you for playing. Who wins? What is it, James and... Oh, no, Christina. She takes the gold. Uh, Christian, you have to take her out to dinner as her prize. Uh, we'll watch your kids. <laughs> and by me, I mean Jackie. Now, those were some off-the-wall facts this morning. How many of you got them all right? No? Me either. There are a lot of ones that, that I got wrong there. But today, in difference to last week, if you were here last week or you watched last week's, um, these facts were all true or false. Definitive truth statements or definitively false. Uh, the, this is what we're dealing with as we go through our truish statement. We're not talking about uh, ambiguous facts, um, talking about just the one question, the Great Wall of China, is it uh, larger than the distance between London and Beijing? We can measure that, and we can say, yeah, you know what, the Great Wall is almost three times the length of that distance from London to Beijing. 
these are easy to look at and say, yes, this is true or this is false. And if you don't know, the Word of God is the very, very similar in that when you look into the Word of God, it will tell us things that are true definitively or false definitively. However, the problem is applying that truth then to our lives. That's where things get a little different, and that's why if you look at our image for our true-ish series, we're here in the middle because there, are, there is truth and there is lies, there is, there's false, but a lot of times we kind of live in between trying to apply that truth and trying to dig out and root out those lies in our lives. None of the facts that we talked about this morning in our little game that we played here this morning, none of those are going to change our lives. Whether you got those true or false, not going to change your life if you got them wrong. You're going to continue living. If you didn't know the answer to those, then it wouldn't affect your life really at all. But there are facts which would change our lives if we were wrong about them. And these are the things we're talking about through this series. Because, again, one of the things I want us to take away from this whole series is this statement, what we believe determines how we behave. There's no way around that. You will behave in a way that is congruent with what you believe. There's no way to get away from that. You will act in a manner that, that mirrors the way you believe. Another true and false uh, quiz for all of us as we read through uh, something we call our statement of faith, th- faith. There is one God, true or false, who is infinitely perfect, true or false. Okay, three of you are awake. This is good. Existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, true or false? Jesus Christ is the true God and the true man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Good. He died upon the cross, the just for the unjust, as a substitutionary sacrifice. True. And all who believe in Him are justified on the ground of His shed blood. True. He arose from the dead according to the Scriptures. True. He is now at the right hand of majesty on high as our great high priest. True. He will come again to establish His kingdom, righteousness, and peace. True. That's just a small excerpt from our statement of faith. If you've never read through our statement of faith, I encourage you to do that. Become familiar with it. That's a true-false quiz. You don't want to get wrong. If you are confused about any of those statements as to whether or not they are true or false, you need to get more into the Word of God because this is not a game that we're playing. What we did before, that's a game. Those facts don't matter. But when we dig into the Word of God, that does matter. And if we, if we can't get that stuff true or false, if we miss out on those facts, that will negatively affect our lives in a powerful way. So that's why I believe this series is so important for all of us that we are able to discern the truth and the lies that exist in our life. For most of us, the devil has lost his opportunity to convince us that God doesn't exist. Most of the people in this room and probably most of the people watching would say, you know what, I believe God exists. I hope so, or else you're kind of wasting your time coming here. So the enemy's goal would be to just nudge us off course just a little bit. He lost his opportunity to convince us that God doesn't exist, so if he can muddy the waters on the truth of God then maybe he can win just a little bit. See, having a slightly wrong trajectory doesn't matter much at the beginning, or we don't notice it much. 
So if, if you were to aim towards something and you were just off a little bit, you wouldn't notice it at first. But after a long, long, long distance, you could end up so far off the mark, you wouldn't even recognize where you are. And some of us can look at our lives and say, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to get just off track a little bit and think, ah, it's no big deal. I'm just going to go this way for a little bit, and then I'll get back on track. And years later, we find ourselves so far from God, we don't know how we got there. It's because the enemy took the opportunity to nudge us off course just a little bit, and we thought, it's not that big of a deal. And then we found ourselves somewhere we didn't recognize. See, if we believed most of the statement of faith, but just changed it a little bit, it's going to affect our lives in a powerful way. Maybe if, we just, if, if instead of what it actually says, we say, and all who believe in Him are justified on the ground of their righteous conduct. Now that changes everything. Instead of being justified on the ground of His shed blood, if we believe we're justified on the, on the basis of our righteous conduct, now we've, we've moved to a works-based religion. It's all about what we do. It's all about what we can do for Him. And, and when we're good, then we can pat ourselves on the back. And when we're bad, well, yeah, we should shame ourselves because it's all about our righteous conduct. Just a little bit of change can change a lot when we look at the facts of who God is and how we interact with Him. As we continue in our Truish series, we're looking at statements that appear to be true, or some of them are true or are mostly true, but they're used as lies. We've already looked at a few statements, uh, and what I want to do is today we're going to be looking at another true-ish statement, God wants me to be happy. Now, when I first uh, was praying through this series and God was giving me uh, a few of these questions or a few of these statements to, to bring, uh, I, honestly, I mean, this one came up right away, but I didn't realize how much is put into this true-ish statement. God wants me to be happy. It sounds right, doesn't it? It feels right. Well, it must be true. Because it just feels good that God wants me to be happy. And then that leads us to another thought, which I've heard people say. If God loved us, He would want us to be happy, right? A loving God would want us to be happy. He would want His children to be happy. If you're a good parent, you want your kid to be happy. So why don't you just give them the, the juice box at 10 o'clock at night? Come on. If you loved your kid, you would want him to be happy. And what would make him happy is to have that juice box at 10 o'clock, right? Well, let's dive in and see what the Word of God has to say on whether or not God wants us to be happy. In the ancient world, back in the Old Testament times, almost every culture on earth worshipped something or someone. It's not like they gather together as like the random tribes of the world and said, all right, guys, let's just want to cover this. We're all going to worship something, okay? It doesn't matter what you do, just worship something. No, it's just in our nature we worship something. And so every culture worships something or someone. And for almost every one of these cultures, what or who they worshiped what had a physical representation which they called an idol. Now for us in Christianese, the word idol is a bad term because it, you know, it has all this negative connotation. But in that time, 
an idol was just another word. It was just meant a physical depiction of a god. Um, so, you know, they, didn't, they weren't shameful to call it an idol. You know, if, if, you know, one of you walked into church and said, hey, this is my idol, everybody would look at you a little weird. Uh, back in that time, it wasn't a weird thing. It was just one of the things they all did. Well, the Israelites, they had, we're going to pick up a story where they had just been rescued from Egypt by the awesome power of God. After the 10 plagues, if you've never read it, God does some amazing things over the Egyptians, uses 10 plagues to show that He is the one true God. And they've just seen God destroy Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, which is an amazing feat that not a, not a one of them had to fight in the battle. And God destroys all of Pharaoh's army, probably the greatest army that existed on the planet at the time. And then they find themselves at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai, waiting for Moses to return for 40 days. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning in Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 6. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and uh, so if you want to follow along with us in the same translation, you can do that, um, or the words will be on the screen as well. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 6. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment for, so, so you recognize. When you're reading your Bible and you see the word Lord in all caps, do you know what that means? That means it's not just the word Lord. It means it's the name of God. It's the Y-H-V-H in Hebrew. It's Yahweh. It's, it's God's name, and they're saying, we're going we're to have a festival to the God of all creation because we've made this calf. Verse 6, the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. So God doesn't work on their time frame. They're waiting for Moses. It's been 40 days since Moses went up on the mountain. And now some of the people could have gone with him, except they were so afraid. They're like, man, we're not going on that mountain. That, that's, that's too scary for us. When they saw a physical representation of the presence of God come down on Mount Sinai in, in, a, in a cloud, and they saw Moses go up into the cloud, and there are even some elders that are standing by waiting but it's been 40 days and they haven't gotten word of where Moses is or if he's still alive or what's happening. God doesn't show up in the way they would prefer. So they create their own representation of God. And th this is mind-boggling to me is they, they create this thing that they know God has told them never to do. They're not to create idols. They just came from a pagan culture that God showed them how useless all of their gods were, showed himself to be the one true God in multiple ways. Ten plagues killed the whole army in the, in the Red Sea. And now because 40 days go by and they don't get a new sign or wonder, they've created this calf. And they've even didn't necessarily name it Yahweh, but they begin to worship God 
by bowing down to this golden calf that they know is totally against what he says. And then they get up in the morning and they do this weird mix of their faith and pagan faith. They get up and it says that they offer sacrifices and, and peace offerings and burnt offerings. And they, those are things that only the Israelites really did like that. They did it the way the Israelites do it. But then they also engage in the pagan revelry and they, they begin to meld together what they learned in Egypt and who God is. And they said, yay, praise Yahweh. Praise the God of creation. Now, most of you probably don't have a golden calf at home. If you do, talk to the elders. We'll help you dispose of it. But many of us, we've created our own representation of God. We've mixed together our personal beliefs, our personal preferences, and the God of the Bible. And we still claim we're worshiping Yahweh. We're worshiping the God of all creation. We're worshiping whether, you know, Yahweh, Jehovah, God, however you want to word that, as many different names He gives us in the Bible. But we claim that's who we're worshiping as we do this weird mix. Because we've bought into the lie, God wants me to be happy. And what we believe determines how we behave. And so many Christians worship at the altar of happiness. It's all about happiness. Now, most of us probably wouldn't word it that way. But when we really look at it, we worship at the altar of happiness. Because we believe the lie, happiness is the ultimate goal of God for our lives. Somewhere along the line, the enemy has whittled his way into our mind to convince us the ultimate goal for God, what he really wants for us, is to be happy. That's his goal. That's his aim. And as long as we achieve that, the ends justify the means. And when we believe this lie, it nudges us, nudges us off course just enough. We began to believe this just a little bit, and we got just a little bit off track. And as we've lived our lives, we kept reinforcing our behavior with this lie until we've gotten to a place that doesn't look anything like what God calls us to do in the Bible. All Satan has to do is rewrite a word here and there in our brains to get us worshiping at the altar of happiness instead of worshiping God. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. But now you must be happy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is happy. For the scriptures say, you must be happy because I am happy. I hope there's a red flag going up in your mind right now. I hope something said, something's wrong. That doesn't sound like the Bible, because it's not. But this is how the enemy rewords things in our mind. Think about this. But yeah, you've got to be happy. God, God's a God of joy. He's a God of celebration. He's a God of happiness. If he's happy, he's obviously calling us to be happy as well, instead of realizing what the Scriptures actually say. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Nowhere in the Bible is, are you going to find a, a, a scripture reference that says God's goal for you is happiness. 
His goal for us is holiness. That's what he wants for us. That's what he's concerned about. And honestly, he doesn't really give a rip whether or not we're happy as we do it. What's important is holiness. That's what we need to work toward. That's what our goal should be. And that's what the whole Bible summed up is to be, is that we would walk in holiness before him, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we realize all that God gave up for us, all that he has done for us, all the love he has poured out for us, was not so that we could be happy. It was so that he could speak over us holy. As we look into the heavens, as a couple revelations that we see in the Bible, as the cherubim and the seraphim surround the throne, what are they saying? Happy, happy, happy is God Almighty. No, it's, it's, it's unimportant. Happiness is a byproduct. It's, it's something that happens when we walk in holiness, sometimes. Though if you've walked in holiness, you know, yeah, you know what? Sometimes to be holy, you can't really attach happy to that because it hurts. It costs us something to be holy at times, and happiness doesn't come naturally from that. However, when you're in the midst of it, when you know that you're giving up something for holiness, there should be a joy in your heart to know this hurts, this is costing me something, but it's achieving what God's purpose is for me, which is holiness. The enemy has got us to pursue the goal of happiness over holiness. And we would make the argument, well, what's the big deal with wanting to be happy? Is it wrong to want to be happy? I'm asking you this morning, is it wrong to want to be happy? No. And so that's where the enemy starts just like Eve in the garden, he asks us a question. He gets us to engage with him. Is it wrong to want to be happy? No. And then he walks us down a path. How can it be wrong to want to be happy? Well, it's not. Well, if God is a God of love, wouldn't he want us to be happy? Yeah, you know what? That sounds right. If he's a God of love, and if I love my kids, I want them to be happy. Those of you that are parents, though, you know there are circumstances where you don't give a rip if they're happy. You don't care if, if they're crying and kicking and screaming as you drag them out of the middle of the road. If playing in the middle of the highway would make them happy, you don't care. You want them safe. That's what's important. Happiness is not the goal. And so as the enemy walks us down that path of thinking, well, if God is a God of love, why wouldn't he want us to be happy? God gives us a truth like this. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And so often the enemy gets us to believe that, and we walk down this path, and we're left with this reality, or this false reality that, well, if God loves me, then he should be pursuing my happiness with me, and he should be okay when I pursue my happiness, except the path before us. It might seem right, but it only ends in death. That is not God's goal. It seems right that God would want us to be happy. When we read verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Or Job, or John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And what we hear is God wants us to be happy. You see, Jeremiah 29, 11, God wants us to be happy. John 10, 10, God wants us to be happy. It says it right here. 
If you remember back, this is, I believe, very similar to when we say, well, the Bible says it's wrong to do this. The Bible says it's wrong to get a tattoo. No, it doesn't say that. But what we interpret from it, and we determine, yes, it does say that. Because I, when I read it, it says that. What we hear is God wants you to be happy. But it's never in the Bible. Now, you might still be asking yourself, well, what's the big deal? What nefarious plan could Satan possibly have with with wanting me to be happy? What evil could he possibly intend for me to be happy? That's a good thing. Well, you just read it. John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give him a rich and satisfying life. Satan wants you, if he can get you to settle for happy, then he gets to steal your opportunity to be blessed, to have a rich and satisfying life. Because if you pursue happiness, you miss out on blessed. Because blessed isn't in happy. Sometimes happy comes because of being blessed, but it's not the goal. It's a byproduct. And when I was in college, my commencement speech in, in college, uh, I still remember uh, the guy who spoke at our, I don't remember who he is, uh, but I remember his message was all about happiness. And he showed a graph of, uh, and it was almost 100% accurate that the, the more a country spent on entertainment or happiness, the more depressed that country was. The more they pursued happiness, the less they found it. Because it's not a goal. Happiness is not a destination. It's a byproduct. And when the enemy can get us chasing this thing we call happiness, this pursuit of happiness, it's a false pursuit. He likened it to, you ever have one of those spots in your eye? And you're trying to like find the spot, but the more you try to focus on it, the the, the more it just disappears until you just like focus on something in front of you and then all of a sudden the spot appears again. Some of you have that more than others those little floaters. But the more you look for it, the more you try to find it, the, le- the more elusive it becomes. And his argument was that's happiness. When we pursue it, when we spend money and we spend so much effort and time and, and energy pursuing this thing we call happiness, we're far less likely to find it. Because the lie is if you're more selfish, you'll get more happy. Spend more money on yourself, pamper yourself, do more things for yourself, and then you'll find happiness in that. And the truth is the exact opposite. The more selfless we are, the more we serve others, the more we give. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to... Oh, that's not what the world tells us. You need to get, get, get. Receive, receive, receive. That's where you're going to find happiness. And the Bible's like, it's the exact opposite. Everything the world tells us as far as happiness is concerned is a complete lie. And yet the enemy convinces us to chase that. Chase happiness. He wants to steal God's opportunity to give us that rich and satisfying life. Notice, his purpose is not to make us happy. He could have said that if he wanted to. The word happy is in the Bible. So he very easily could have said, my purpose is to give them a rich and happy life. But he doesn't, because he knows the pursuit of happy is a false pursuit. 
Satan knows if you worship at the altar of happiness, it will inevitably lead to a pursuit of the things of this world. Because you can't be happy on this earth without pursuing the things of this earth. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 very clearly says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the, the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Do you see the truth that is in here? When we have the love of the world in us, it says we do not have the love of the Father in us. When we're pursuing the things of this world, when we're pursuing the the bigger house, the nicer car, I mean, basically everything that my generation especially was told to pursue, that's what's so important. Seriously, walk into the house of somebody my generation or younger, and then in somebody's house that's of the older generation. You'll find much more style and trend and different things like that in a younger generation person's house, as opposed to when you walk into someone else's, someone that's older, you find a lot more family stuff, you find a lot more pictures, you find a lot more knickknacks and just things that uh, are from people, cherished belongings, and why? Because especially as, as time has gone on, we've been pushed harder and harder and harder and harder into that. Pursue the things of this world. That's where you'll be happy. If you have that nice, clean house, if you have that perfect, trendy kitchen, everything will be better in your life. If you can just have that, then you'll be happy. Or if you can just have that nice truck with that awesome lift kit, you'll be happy. We cannot pursue happiness on this earth and not fall in love with the things of this world. So many of us are left with this what it says, this craving for physical pleasure. And we're wondering why we feel distant from God. Why we don't feel that closeness we used to with God. Why? Because we take so much pride in our achievements and our possessions. And and this isn't just for the younger generation either. The older generation, I, I, I come from this area, so I know there's this mentality of, I've worked for everything I have. I've earned everything. I was never on unemployment. This is crazy. All these young people are crazy. I've never been on that. I've worked for everything I've ever gotten. It's the same thing. Taking pride in our achievement and our possessions. It says these are not from the Father, but are from the world. Paul doesn't brag in what he's accomplished. What does he say? He says, I brag in my weakness, because that's where God has shown up. That's the places where God has been made known. Satan knows this truth in this scripture, which is why he tries to replace it with that truish statement, God wants you to be happy. Think about it. How many people you know have left this church or another church? Or if maybe you've left the church, the root cause, they weren't happy. That church didn't make me happy anymore, so I went to find one that did make me happy. And we word it differently because we've got good Christianese. You know, we know how to speak it really well. Well, oh, the preaching just really wasn't uh, feeding my soul. What they mean is I just wasn't happy. I want to go somewhere where I'm happy. I want to go somewhere where I feel good, where I get that feel-good feeling. I want to be happy because that's the God we serve. 
is happy. What God wants is for us to be blessed. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. We call this the Beatitudes. Jesus says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. How many of you have ever been poor? I grew up pretty poor. How happy were you in in being poor? I was ecstatic. Yeah, I loved wearing Velcro shoes that fell apart after a week. No, it's not, there's not happiness there, but there is a blessed there where we realize our need for Him. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How many of you get really happy when you have to mourn? No? No, but we get blessed. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you you because you are my followers. And here we find happiness. Yay, this is a verse all about happiness. Be happy about it. Hold on, what? The first time in this we're told to be happy is when? When people mock us and persecute us and are mean to us. Be happy about it. Be very glad, it says, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So the idea we get from here that this is Jesus speaking is, you know what? Forget happiness. When you put happiness to the side and you pursue holiness, that's where the rewards are. And it's almost like a comic thing here when Jesus is saying, be happy, be glad about it when people persecute you. I mean, Jesus isn't crazy. He knows that nobody thinks like, yay, I'm being persecuted. But what he's pointing out is, We should be happy that we are putting aside our happiness for the kingdom, that we're not pursuing that, that we're constantly, if we're being persecuted and we're being mocked for our faith, it'll become very evident to us that's not our goal. Happiness isn't our God, and we do not worship at the altar of happiness. The only time Jesus mentions happiness there is in our response to persecution, which will not happen when our goal when our God is happiness. So again, as we close, what is the big deal with the pursuit of happiness? What's the big deal? When happiness is the goal, it gives us permission to do things which would otherwise be wrong. See, as we just get off track a little bit, as the enemy convinces us, yeah, you know what? Happiness is is okay, It's okay to pursue happiness. It's okay to be happy. As we continue down that trajectory, we are confronted with a behavior. We're confronted with a decision, and we think, well, I know it's not the right thing to do, but it'll make me happy, and if God loves me, then He wants me to be happy. So I guess at the end of the day, it's okay because a good God would want me to be happy. We begin to believe certain behaviors, certain lifestyles are okay because it makes us happy. Even to something simple like, I know I shouldn't eat that, but it'll make me happy. I know I can't afford that, but it'll make me happy. I know I shouldn't watch that, but it'll make me happy. 
I know I shouldn't have sex before marriage, but it'll make us happy. We're getting married anyhow. I know I shouldn't flirt with that person at work because I'm married, but it makes me happy. And the ultimate, that if we're honest as Christians, we've probably all dealt with at one point or another, it's not hurting anybody, and it makes me happy. So God will understand. Whew, man, the enemy gets us with that one. If you've never compromised by using that rationale, you're better than me. I know I have. It's not hurting anybody, and I know it's not necessarily the right thing to do, but God will understand because it makes me happy because it gives me what I want. Or on the flip side of it, not just not doing something, but I know I should do something, like I should join the worship team, or I should help out in the nursery now that we got 400 babies. Or I know God's calling me to go on this mission trip, but it'll make me uncomfortable, not happy, so I'm not going to do it. Uncomfortable isn't happy, and so that can't be God's will for me. I've heard so many people use the not happy as a closed door conversation. Well, God closed that door because that won't make me happy. Oh, man, I hate that. Whew. You want to get me fired up? Let's have that conversation. So often I hear people, well, yeah, God closed that door. Why? Because it won't make me happy. Excuse me? How is that a closed door? That's an open door. That may be a very open door. There's persecution down that, in that door. There's, there's trial. There's a battle. There's a fight there, and that's what God wants for you because He wants to wake you up. That's the open door. And you're crawling through the window pursuing happiness. So many times we compromise. We don't do what God calls us to because we realize, well, that's going to make me uncomfortable. I know I should tell my coworkers about Jesus, but whew, that's going to be uncomfortable, not happy. So, eh, maybe next time, God. Call someone else. Maybe they don't want to be happy. And since my God, I mean goal, is happy and not holy, I do what makes me happy, not holy. Again, what we believe determines how we behave. When we truly believe that the goal that God has for our life is happiness, when, and, and again, I just want to point out, this isn't just young people, this isn't just middle-aged people, this isn't just parents, this isn't just husbands or wives, this is older people retired. I mean, I've seen this so often and when people retire, it's like, okay, the enemy convinces you you're retired, now it's time to be happy. It's all about you now. Focus on you. Focus on family. That'll make you happy. That's what the goal is. Remember happiness. Do what makes you happy. What we believe determines how we behave. So if the enemy can convince us that happiness is God's desire for us, if he can get us to believe that God, if God really loved us, he'd want us to be happy, and we believe it, we behave in a way that puts happiness on the altar instead of God, just as the Israelites did. They created this golden calf that we'll call happy, and then they began to mix the truth of God with their pagan ideas. They began to worship the things of this world, and they called it God. And man, how many Christians are doing that still today? They say, I go to church, yeah, I worship God, I love Him, but I've moved churches seven times because they just don't make me happy. I've left the, you know, one family, I've joined another family, I've done all this stuff. I, 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 you know, I still have that little sin, but it's not a big deal because it makes me happy and it's not hurting anybody. Uh, and, I, and I know I did that one thing that was a little bit wrong, but hey, it made me happy and it's okay, no one got hurt. 
Or maybe someone got hurt, but they don't matter. I'm a good Christian. I just, you know, I just want to be happy. As you make decisions this week, as you are faced, and you will be, probably before the day is out, you'll be faced with the decision of holiness or happiness. What's going to matter more to you? 1 Peter 1.15 says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Holiness is of so much more value than happiness. And if you pursue happiness this week, today, the rest of your life, you will never find it. I can promise you that. If that's your goal, if that's your aim, you won't find it. You'll find moments of it. But man, there is so much joy to be had in holiness. So much joy to be had in pursuing the things of God, putting off the things of this world, not falling in love with this world or the things of this world, but falling more in love with Jesus and pursuing Him. And God will bring happiness at times, but more importantly, He'll bring holiness and He'll bring joy and the peace that we're promised, the peace of God, which passes all understanding when we worship Him. Let's pray. Father God, we recognize that some of us, even the, during the sermon today, we've realized where we've compromised. We realize where that, that lie of the enemy has snuck into our life. And we've believed the lie that the goal is happiness. And we've pursued it, and the enemy's got us off track. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would thwart the lies of the enemy in this place. And for those watching this morning, that they, 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 that lie of the enemy wouldn't have any power over them today. They would begin to make decisions that would put them on a trajectory of holiness, no longer happiness. That they would stop compromising, thinking that it's okay because at, at least they're going to be happy. That they knowingly sacrifice holiness for happiness because they think that's the goal. Lord, I pray that your light would shine on that lie and expose it for what it is. And we would begin, some of us begin, others that we would simply tailor some of these areas that have gotten out of focus, and we would begin to put everything back under the light of Christ, and we would walk in a way that makes us holy, that you would again be able to speak over us, holy are my children. God, I pray that you would break the chains of this lie in our life, in our culture, that we would stop pursuing this thing which we will never find as long as we pursue it. And Lord, that we would instead experience more of you, that we would stop boasting in the things of this world and our achievements and all of our accomplishments and all of the things that are one day not going to matter at all. And instead, we would boast in our weakness as we realize we are nothing without you. And our desperate dependence upon you would become ever clearer this week. Lord, I pray blessings over us, not happiness, but blessings because we recognize your goal is that we would be blessed people who are holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed this week.